Welcome to Mercy Street Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Mercy Street Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing to listen to new messages every week. Have a God-filled day. I got issues. It issues. Pipe down. <laughs> oh Lord. Can you open your Bibles to <laughs> the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. I should have asked you how to keep standing, but y'all threw my feng shui off, my mojo off. I, <laughs> Brother Durrell, Pastor Durrell reminded me of something that I once said, he said, Jerry, you promised that you would not wear skinny jeans. But when you lose 84 pounds, okay, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. To all the guests here, please forgive me. I love Jesus. And our covenant members, my family members, they are crazy. So if that deters you from visiting this place, please come and talk to me. Maybe I can soften your heart. (laughs) Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16, and it reads as follows. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you will enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you will go, be perfect. Go, sell what you possess and give the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. Eternal Father, I just pray that you will be glorified today. I pray that your name will be lifted up and exalted. I pray that you will soften our hearts towards money, that we may have a kingdom view as opposed to a self-promoting view. Father, I know topics like this have caused people to leave the church. I would contend that they didn't leave because of money. They left because of their own heart. But, Father, we do not want to create stumbling blocks in the way of our brothers and sisters. And so we just ask that you would make soft where things are hard. And ultimately, Father, we just pray that your word will not return back to you void, but that we will apply it to our life in such a way that you will be glorified. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Let all the saints say, amen. Uh, This is the last sermon of our Matthew series, Misunderstanding of the Kingdom. Um, Once again, it has been very challenging to talk about the misunderstanding of the kingdom, to talk about 
What does it mean to really be great? And lastly, what does wealth look like in the context of the kingdom? And so um, this will be my last time preaching um, for at least three weeks because I will be leaving to um, Israel Tuesday. And um, I will not be back to um, Dallas until May 11th. And so um, Michael McGee and Waldo Ramirez are going to take the stage and proclaim God's truth to you. Um, it's, it's, it's good to have an Old Testament degree because then people think you can speak Hebrew. I can, but I'm losing so much of it. So I get to go to Israel and kind of um, see where our Savior walked for the next um, 10 days. I, I want to start this sermon off with a question. And the question that I want to ask is, do you own your possessions or do your possessions own you? I ask it again. Do you own your possessions or do your possessions own you? I understand my audience, so let me ask it this way. Do you own your career or does your career own you? Okay, let me, since I'm poking at people, let me ask one more. Do you work for your money or do your money work you? All of these questions are what we know as kingdom questions, especially when they are brushed up against your money. And even the thought of me saying your money suggests that you are the ultimate provider and the ultimate one who produces monetary things. But in reality, God is the ultimate provider. And yet we always say, this is my money. Let me dig deeper. When the kingdom brush up against your money, your wealth, or your possessions, it exposes the heart of man. Why? Because it shows you what you value. Mess with someone's money, and you mess with the very fabric of who they are. Mess with somebody's money, and you put yourself in a line of fire. I know brothers who have beat up people and ultimately have almost killed people over $5. I'm like, over $5? It's the principle, bro. It's the principle. Wow. So you spending 15 years for $5, that's not principle. That's foolishness. But I, I, I read this book when preparing for this sermon, or at least parts of it on the Internet, and it's this book called The Day America Told the Truth. And it says, what people really believe about everything that really matters. And one of the questions in this book is, what are you willing to do for $10 million? That's one of the questions in the book. What are you willing to do for $10 million? I wish I could read your thoughts right now. Because <laughs> I know some of you are like, $10 million? Give me half of that. Give me a quarter of that. I do all type of things. All right. Let me, some of the questions that was in the book. One question was, what would you abandon your entire family for $10 million? Somebody just shook their head. <laughs> so, I think it was on accident. I don't think it was on purpose. <laughs> well, according to this statistic, 25% of people said yes. Yeah. Another question was, would you abandon your church? 
Now, for some of you all, that, that's easy. That's easy. Oh, absolutely, in a heartbeat. 25% of people said yes. One question was, would you leave your spouse? Okay. Now, watch this. <laughs> the people who answered first, check their heart. Check their heart. All I was just saying. 16% of people said yes. <laughs> More than, yeah. That's what they said. Somebody like this. All right, last one, last one. Would you put your children up for adoption? Three percent. Now, some of y'all don't know. Some of y'all don't have kids. So right now, you're like, no, that's terrible. But when you have kids, you. <laughs> Are they going to be taken care of? Are they going to eat? Like. <laughs> You start asking qualifying questions. <laughs> Here's the point. The point is people are willing to do many things for money. And when money comes up against the kingdom, how you view it, what your attitude is, and what your posture is towards it will determine whether you are willing to follow the king or whether you're willing to follow the world. Let me put it this way. The kingdom does not have an issue with your pursuit of money. The kingdom has an issue when you prioritize it over it. The kingdom doesn't have an issue with you pursuing possessions. But the king does have an issue when it is prioritized over him. For example, what is first? Is it God or gold? Is it the Messiah or your money? Is it the king's will or your own personal pursuit of your crowns and your achievements? The kingdom says when your money is prioritized over it, then you have removed God as the king and put money on his throne. And so my charge to you today is simple. Prioritize the kingdom over your possessions. Prioritize the kingdom. Put it first over the pursuit of your money. When you enter into Matthew chapter 19, you are going to run into a very wealthy young man. And this very wealthy young man is going to be faced with a personal decision to either follow Jesus or to put his faith in his possessions. Now, before you throw this young rich ruler under the bus, watch this. All of us are faced with that decision every day. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us choose possessions over the kingdom. If we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes when faced with what would you do for $10 million? It's not even that drastic. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, hmm, what will I do so that I don't have to live check to check? What will I do to, to, to make sure that I'm no longer just eating tuna, but I can eat lobster sometimes? Sometimes it's more about your brand than about building the kingdom. 
And so I have two moves today, and I'm going to get out of your way. And the first move was, is this, prioritize the kingdom over possessions by surrendering all of your possessions to follow Jesus. That's the first one, and that's pretty hard, I know. The second one is, prioritize the kingdom by trusting the promised rewards in Jesus. That's futuristic. And I know some of you are saying, but I want it right now. I'm going to deal with that in a second. All right. So prioritize the kingdom by surrendering all your possessions to follow Jesus. When you enter into Matthew chapter 16 or 19, specifically verses 16 to 22, we are called to look at this young man who has great possessions. In other words, he is rich and he is young, which is a formula for our millennials right now to be rich and to be young to be significant and to be young the stuff that young people put on the internet some days and monetize it blows my mind people have monetized the ability to take pictures of food you don't believe me go on the internet people are making millions and millions of dollars by just putting a picture, a plate of food on the internet, and people are like, oh, man, did you see the latest dish that so-and-so put on there? And I'm like, what? what? And they got like a million followers. Somewhere in our culture, to be young and to be rich is fashionable. The problem is, oftentimes, to be young and to be rich, oftentimes, is to be old and broke. <laughs> all right somebody sit out somebody was like all right yeah dear i was there <laughs> the young rich ruler comes up to jesus and he asks him a question he says teacher what good deed must i do to in, uh, to have eternal life in other words he's saying how can i earn salvation like what business transaction can you and i make so that I can guarantee a position in heaven. Now, before Jesus answered his question, he asks him another question. He says in verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Here's my pet peeve with Jesus sometimes. Lord, it's for the sermon, okay? Some people are like, what, Jerry, you got a problem with Jesus? Yes. Why don't Jesus just ask, answer people's questions when they ask him? Because that's what we're asking. Jesus, I asked you a specific question. Why on earth are you act, answering a question with a question? Don't you get frustrated when you see Jesus do that? Come on, man. Somebody shame the devil and be honest out there. Help me out. Like I'm like, just answer his question. How do I monetize, how do we barter with one another to gain eternal life? Here's what I know. The reason why Jesus doesn't answer his question, and the reason why Jesus oftentimes don't answer your question, is because Jesus is more concerned with your heart than your head. Jesus is more concerned with your faith than your feelings. Jesus does not get into the trivial of what you are asking, he's saying, let me show you who you really are. That's what he's going to do to this young rich ruler. 
So Jesus finally answers him and says, if you will enter life, keep the commandments. In other words, obey the law. Now, if that is the setup, then the next question even makes more logical sense. Then which ones? If this is a business transaction and I can guarantee my place in heaven, which ones do I have to do? Jesus says to him, okay, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What did Jesus just do? Quote the Ten Commandments. He says, if you want to inherit eternal life, then I want you to perfectly submit yourself to the rule and obedience to the law. But there's a problem here. If you look closely, Jesus left out some commandments. In fact, the only commandments that he quotes in this passage are the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th commandments. All of those commandments have in common how you deal with people. What is your relationship with people? How do you relate with people? In other words, he's asking, do you have a right and appropriate relationship with people? And like most rich people, they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I give to the food bank every year. I come to West Dallas every year and hand out turkeys. Then I go back to my house and say, oh, man, I help those poor people so much. You know what I'm talking about. They come to places like this. They, they drive up in their fancy cars. They get out and they show off with food and baskets and gift cards. And then they go home and be like, whew. Check, I did that. But there's something missing in this passage. What is missing? God. The thing that is missing in this passage is that Jesus leaves out the first commandments, which requires you to have a right relationship with God. He left out do not have any other gods before me. Why? Because he is about to expose the idolatry of this man's heart. He's about to expose what is preventing him from drawing near to Jesus. It's funny, because if you're going to have a right view of possessions, it starts with having a right relationship with God. See, the reason why the decision to, 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 to rule, the reason why your money is ruling you is because you're not filtering it through a God worldview. You're filtering it through a circumstantial worldview. What do I need? As opposed to saying, what does the God who provides can provide for me. That's the issue at times. That oftentimes our money rules us because we don't start with the God perspective first. 
That's why it's hard to give in church, because you think it's about someone taking from you as opposed to you giving the resources that the source has given you. I know I wouldn't go get a lot of amens on this sermon. I, I was fine with that one. Because I'm messing with your pockets. I'm messing with your money. Jerry, you don't know the school debt that I have. You don't, you don't know um, the stuff that I'm going through. I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. But your circumstances do not un- overrule a biblical worldview of how you ought to handle your wealth. Jerry, I give to this place. I give to this place. And I give to these people. But when it's time to give to the organization or give to um, the church that feeds you every Sunday, nah, they ain't going to do nothing but squander my money. <laughs> Some of y'all laughing, but I'm serious. You don't give to the local church, and yet you want me to come up here every Sunday, decked out in some nice clothes, preach the sermon well so that it hits you, so that you can go home and be like, thank you, Jesus. I know what to do with the Bible now. But when it comes to my family, man, forget Jerry. Do you know in the Old Testament, I got to bring this up. Do you know in the Old Testament when Jesus or when Yahweh began to give land to the 12 tribes of Israel, do you know what tribe he left out? The Levites. Why? Because as a community, they were supposed to take care of one another. And the Levites were supposed to focus their time on the spiritual aspect of, of Israel, the reading of the word, the sacrifices of the animals, to make sure that they made atonements before the people. But when it comes to us, We all think all preachers are these televangelists saying, give me, give me, give me. You know, I don't ask you to give us anything. Because at the end of the day, it's either you're going to have a cheerful heart and give or you're not. You are going to have to decide within your own heart what God is calling you to do. But the first thing he wants to do is to show him the idolatry of his heart. And if we are going to prioritize the kingdom over possessions, it starts with prioritizing God. What is God calling me to do? What is God putting me in position to do? What is God orchestrating and how has he been um, gifting me and how has he given me resources? And even sometimes it's not out of the abundance of your resources. Sometimes it's out of the sacrifice of your resources. Sometimes it's not based on, oh, we can give this away this month. Sometimes it's like, you need help. I need something. Hey, can we do it together? You know what I used to like when I was raised in the hood? I used to love this. And, and, and a lot of people say a lot of bad things about the hood, but the hood was a very communal place. What I enjoyed about living in the hood was if you had ketchup and I had hot dogs, and she had bread, we could all eat that day. If you had a packet of Kool-Aid, although it was half of cherry, and you had a full uh, packet of grape, you mix that together, and it tasted like fruit punch. 
Like, they didn't start making different colors until broke people was like, man, all I got is a half a pack of strawberry. I got a half a pack of cherry. You got a half a pack of orange. Let's put it together and call it Passion Punch. That's how Passion Punch got started. Because all of a sudden, they recognize their need for one another were dependent upon each other. The moment you get to a point where you know that your need of, of money is not dependent upon what you can earn, but your need of money is dependent upon the God who can provide it. Why does Jesus leave out the God commandment? In order to show this young rich ruler what he lacked. The young rich ruler said to him, all these things, these commandments that you have given me, I have kept. So what do I lack? And the answer is, God is your priority. When you begin to look over your life and ask the question, what do you lack? Why? Even when you have, you want more. You know why? Because God is not at the center of what is good. What's at the center of what is good is your own efforts. That's why when the young rich ruler says, hey, what good deed do I need to do? Jesus' first thing was to challenge his view of what he thought was good. Jesus could have rebuked this this young man and said to him, you know what? Your view and your understanding of the law is wrong. Because we all know if you break one law, you break them all. See, he thought, hey, let me just keep five of them and I'm all good. Bruh, you just broke five other ones. Jesus could also went in on him, letting him know that only God is good and you are not. But Jesus bypassed all that to show one thing, the idol of his heart. And the idol of his heart was the God of possession. And so when Jesus says to him, if you will be perfect, and perfect, we talked about this in the earlier sermon, perfect means to have a fully devoted life towards Yahweh. If you will be perfect, fully devoted to God, then go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And watch this, and then come and follow me. You see what he said to him? He says, forsake everything else. Leave all your idols on the outside, then come and follow me. Isn't that the formula of salvation? That you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you forsake all things which we call repentance and you turn towards God? The Bible says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Why did this young man leave in such grief? It's because the rich man valued possessions more than he valued God. It's because the rich young ruler's true priority was his possessions. Is that your heart today? Like, like, You work so hard, you're going so hard to attain something that eventually you will lose. What does it profit a man to gain the entire world 
only to lose his soul in the end. I remember Denzel Washington once said, man, Denzel, I love Denzel. Um, Denzel uh, professed to be a follower of Jesus, came out of the Pentecostal church, and so he is about that life. One of the things that Denzel does um, in his um, invisible moments is that he shows up to certain places who, who, that need money, and he just gives out of his abundance. In fact, in San Antonio, there, is, there was a medical facility there that was trying to finish their medical um, um, wing for veterans. Denzel, unannounced, shows up. They're talking, and they're like, oh, Denzel, Denzel here. And Denzel just looking around, just looking around, and people are like, Denzel here. And he says, so what do y'all need? And they said, well, we, we need um, this other wing uh, to be finished. Denzel's like, oh, okay, cool. He kept going on, kept going on, then wrote a check to finish the whole entire wing. Now, why does Denzel have kind of this viewpoint? Well, he uses this quote. He says, I have never seen a U-Haul connected to a hearse. Ah, some of y'all just got it, right? He says, the reason why I freely give is because I have never seen a U-Haul with all of your possessions connected to a hearse when you're going to the grave. In other words, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Man, just imagine if this young ruler would have put his faith in Jesus then he would have the greatest form of wealth ever. But he didn't. And he went away sorrowful. Now, all of us are susceptible to being um, victims of idolatry and worshiping money. Not only the unbeliever in salvation, but also the believer in sanctification. Like the reason why you're not walking in the full manifestation of being committed to Jesus is because there are certain idols in your life that is preventing you from moving on. Even when I was studying this, I'm like, man, what are some of the things that, 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 that bothers me? What are some of the things that I prioritize? Some of you are asking that same question. Okay, pastor, how can I tell what I prioritize or how can I tell what is ruling my life? Like some of y'all are asking that question. Well, let me give you a test, right? What do you devote most of your time to? Whatever you prioritize, sometimes you idolize and whatever you idolize, sometimes you worship. So when you answer that question, what do you devote most of your time to? It'll show you what you idolize. Let me give you another one. Where do you spend most of your energy? Do you give your leftover energy to the things of God, but go full out throttle from nine to five for that job? See, the reason why you give all that time to the job is because you see the monetary value connected to it. And the reason why you give the leftover is God because you think he's going to help you anyway. Okay, let me keep poking. When you wake up in the morning, is it the internet on your phone or intimacy with God? That got somebody's pocket right there. The first thing you do when you wake up is ding, can, um, check your notifications. Like, <laughs> Come on. You see people start putting their phones in their pocket like. Jerry, get out of my pocket. Hey, watch this. 
I don't know nothing about your life. If it hits you, it's not because I threw it at you. You was just in the way. All right, let me keep going. <laughs> let, me, let me see. I got a couple more. Are you building your brand or are you building the kingdom? Where do you spend most of your money? See, Jesus wants it all. Jesus wants it all. And there should be no thing, entity, person in your life that is sitting on the throne by which Jesus himself should be sitting. This young rich ruler was grieved because he was unwilling to let go of the idols in his life. The reason why you are not flourishing and walking with Jesus or the reason why you are not flourishing and coming to Jesus, you might have to check the idols that you have on your statue. You might have to check the idols that are ruling your lives. One of the worst things that happened to me was that I was diagnosed with diabetes. And you know what was ruling my life? Most people would have said food. Like, Jerry, you're, you're eating food. But it was not food that was ruling my life. You know what was ruling my life? Was me thinking that I am the one who is solely responsible for building this church. I would wake up at 4 a.m. every morning, reading my Bible, going to meetings, calling people, uh, meeting, doing pastoral meetings. I would do all these different things. And then I would get home at 6 p.m. And all of a sudden, you know what I forgot to do? Was eat. And then my wife, man, she can cook, man. Oh, my goodness. She was cooking all type of stuff, greens and yams and taco salad, man. And I was eating whole pieces. Like, I was doing all type of stuff. What was my God? Success. What was my God? Competency. What was my God? The one, the person that I did not want to fail. That's what was ruling me. What is ruling you? What is preventing you from having A, through salvation, a closer walk with Jesus, or B, sanctification, walking in the Spirit with Jesus? What idol is holding you back from flourishing in the kingdom of God? Some of you are saying, Pastor, I have surrendered all of my possessions and I have followed Jesus. And what do I have to show for it? Some of you are saying, Pastor, I've done all these things that the young rich ruler did not do. And when I look at my life, I'm tired of living from check to check. I'm tired of scrambling. I'm tired of asking people for handouts. So what are you going to say to that? Well, I would say you sound just like Peter. You sound just like the first disciple that chose to follow Jesus. What is it in for me? Jesus, um, Peter said this. Look, look at verse 27. Peter says this. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? 
Jesus is, Peter is asking the same question, and it's a legitimate question. If you are in ministry, if you are just doing life, forget ministry, just as a follower of Jesus, you're asking yourself, why is he getting ahead and I am not? Why is she getting the promotions and I am not? I serve the God of the universe and I'm broker than this person. I'm just being real up here. I know I have asked that question. And I continue to ask that question often because I'm sitting back trying to figure out like, man, how is this person getting further than me? Let me ask you a question. Let me let me do a Jesus moment because I've I'm, been I'm I'm been doing a lot of questions. If say that you did get money, would it ultimately be the ultimate solution or would you need more money? Say God did give you the desires of your heart. Would that be the solution to your problems of not living check to check? Well, let me say it like this. If the young rich ruler thought that money was his ultimate solution, there will be no need for him to go and ask Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? If money is the solution to all of your problems and needs, then you will have no need of going towards Jesus. That's the false security of money. Money tells you that you will be secure. Money tells you that you will have no more needs on earth. And Jesus would say, that's the rich person's problem. He says, the reason why it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven is because he gets to a point that he no longer needs heavenly things. I've been around millionaires. And the ones who do not have a relationship with Jesus, man, they are sometimes some of the most miserable people on earth. And the ones who do have a kingdom perspective on how to give their resources, oh my goodness, it seems that God keep blessing them. And you know why I'm happy that he keep blessing people who have a kingdom perspective? It's because they're great stewards over their resources. Jesus is just simply asking you, are you a good steward over the resources that I have for you now? Because if you're not a good steward over the resources that you have now, why would God give you more? More money, more problems. I was going to quote another song, but I couldn't. You know, I couldn't, but those who know what that song is or whatever, you know, I ain't going to quote that song, though. But all I'm saying is more money, more problems. Whatever song popped in your head, you deal with that with Jesus. Peter asks a legitimate question. And that legitimate question is a question that I'm saying, ask that question. But Jesus is simply going to say to you then this, prioritize the kingdom by trusting in the promised rewards in Jesus. He says, when you ask this question, bring it to me. And when you bring it to me, all I'm asking you to do is trust and the promises that I have given you. Now, listen, 
there's one thing to accept my promise. I either can or I can't do it. But how many times has Jesus broken a promise? How many times has God broken a promise? If I were to ask you, have all your needs been met, most of you all would say yes. If God has never broken a promise, why not trust him now? Here's what Jesus says to Peter when he asks this question. Verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on this glorious throne, you will have followed me, will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Do you see what Jesus just promised? He literally just promised you the entire world to reign alongside him. Watch this. Jesus promised the new world or the new creation. He promised a perfect and eternal heaven and earth that is untainted by sin and its effect. You get a chance to be in a world that the Bible says that it is the, the streets are made of gold. That's how insignificant gold is in the new world, in the new heaven, that you, it's under your feet. That you will be in a world that there's no more crying, there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more need. Jesus says, those who follow me, I promise that to you. But it gets even better. Jesus promised that he will rule the entire universe, that the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, and he will rule with all power and authority over all persons and nations. I was going to use a joke, but I can't. All I'm going to say is Jesus will be the ultimate reigner and ruler on earth. Because the people who's doing it right now, mm-mm, mm-mm. It gets better. Some of y'all got it, right? It gets better. I got to move on. Jesus promised that his disciples, the ones who follow him, he says, and I will make you judges of the nations. You will rule with him. And I love this last two. Jesus promised this unimaginable reward when he says, and you will receive an a a hundredfold. You know what they call that in the business world? An undisclosed amount. An undisclosed amount. But the greatest reward of all, Jesus promised, is that those who have surrendered everything to him for his name's sake will inherit eternal life. prioritize the kingdom by trusting in the promises that Jesus Christ has offered us. Today we get a chance to celebrate three individuals who understand that salvation is not earned through works, but that salvation is given through the gift of God. There are some people here who have been trying to work for your salvation. 
But if you take any lesson from the young rich ruler, it is this. You cannot earn or buy God's favor. And if you are here today and you are saying things like, let me get my life right, then I will come to Jesus. That is not biblical. Jesus is the one drawing you. He's the one who says, I will get you right. For some of you all, you have already put your faith in Jesus. But you're not walking in the flourishing of devoting yourself fully to him because there are certain things in your life, specifically in the world of career and what move am I going to make next? What am I going to? Listen, Jesus knows what you need. He's already talked about this in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, don't I take care of the birds? Don't I take care of the flowers? Don't I value more than both of them? He says, prioritize me, watch this, by seek me first in the kingdom of God. So here's what I need you to write down for those who are followers of Jesus but are not flourishing. One question, and it's simply this. What idols in your life are preventing you from walking in a fully devoted life with Jesus? What possessions are idolized in your life that are preventing you from fully walking with Jesus? Well, to the three people that I just mentioned, I just want you to stand up, wave your hand, because they have already accepted the eternal reward of believing in Jesus. So if our sister Tanika could stand up, we are going to baptize her in a couple of seconds. Can both Wilbur and Rosemary stand up? Yeah. See, the ultimate reward is eternal life. And when you put your faith alone in Christ alone, the wealth that you have is not only one that will sustain you now, but one that will be stored up in heaven. As we prepare our hearts for communion, begin to focus on any idols that you have in your life that you need to confess. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is an awesome opportunity of you putting your faith alone in Christ alone. Pastor Daryl Joyner, can you come to the stage? Thank you again for listening to Mercy Street Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom. Shalom.